Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode is sponsored by The Aquarium Co-op, your home for healthy, vibrant aquarium plants and all the best fish foods and aquarium accessories. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard the buzz going around the internet these days, but there's a new product out there that has a lot of people, myself included, very excited. That product, folks, is the Aquarium Co-op Easy Planter. That's right, a new addition to the co-op lineup, the Easy Planter. So, what is the Easy Planter? Well, gather around and let me tell you. It is the easiest way for you to get live aquarium plants into your tanks, whether they have substrate or not. And as you know, I have only a small number of tanks in my fish room with substrate, and it's certainly not enough for planting into. So basically, all you do is place your aquarium co-op plants in their pot holders, just like you receive them from us, into the Easy Planter and place it all in your aquarium. Presto, done. This means no more damaging roots, taking apart the rock wool, or fighting with string and superglue to attach your java fern or nubius to rocks and driftwood. And unless your fish straight up eat plants, you can now keep plants with species that would normally move and ruin plants in the substrate. So cichlid lovers, rejoice. The Easy Planter is a gorgeous resin decoration that doubles as an aquarium plant pot holder. The plant pot fits in beautifully and leaves almost no plastic showing. And to ensure your plants can thrive, there's a hole in the bottom of the planter for roots to grow and move into the substrate. Almost every one of my tanks in the fish room have an Easy Planter with species like Dwarf Sagittaria, Pearlweed, Amazon Swords, and Java Fern. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen a picture of Dwarf Sag in the Easy Planters in my fish room, and I mean, it, it absolutely loves it, so no trouble whatsoever with these plants growing in there. And I couldn't be more pleased with how the Easy Planter has changed the look of my fish room. Head on over to Aquarium Co-op and pick up one or 20 Easy Planters for each of your aquariums. Now... On to the interview. Today's date is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. My guest today is Ryan Kinney. Ryan is the creator of the Wild Fish Tanks YouTube channel and friend of the Aquarius podcast. So Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey man, Randy, I appreciate you having me again. I'm looking forward to it. How are you doing today, sir? And I am looking forward to it as well. I'm doing well. I know you know this, but I just got back from the post office shipping some fish. So it's always nice to get them in the mail. I'll be doing better in like two or three days once I know they all arrived. Okay. But I'm doing good. Nice. How was the, how was today's little micro experience in the, uh, in the post office? It was good. Uh, I've actually been able to build a relationship with a few of the uh, postal workers at my post office. Big shout out to uh, Adriana and Eddie specifically, but no, I, I usually ship on Saturdays and Tuesdays. So I see a lot of the same faces go to the same post office a lot. So over the past, Man, a year and a half now I've been shipping fish. Um, I've, you know, kind of, they're kind of like friends almost, but they always, whenever I walk in, they say, oh, the sushi's here, the sushi. <laughs> <laughs> they know awesome. it's live fish, but they're always, they always, they always give me a hard time. Dad, yeah. that's so funny, man. Well, one, I love, I love the, uh, the greasing the skids because our last conversation, I, I don't know, probably at least a year now, a year and a half ago on the podcast. Um, Something like in, that. I've, in, in, I'll oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, the last time we spoke, I don't even think, I think I was still Lucky Smuck's Fish Cave. I think I was just on the cusp of changing the name to Wild Fish Tanks and doing that whole Wild Fish Tanks thing. Yeah, I think so. And um, just in that conversation, though, I remember, you know, how uh, you would kind of describe this, was it, guinea, was it actually guinea pigs that you bred as a kid? 
It was. But just like your, your, your hustler kind of attitude that you have, and it makes total sense that you, like me, would, of course, schmooze and make friends at the post office because, you know, it's uh, one thing that I learned in, in sales for doing sales for almost 10 years is that it's so much harder to say no to a friend than it is just a complete stranger, right? Or somebody that's not, you know, giving you the time of day or not somebody that's not being friendly. And it just goes to show that even in like, as an aquarist, having a fish business, you know, shipping through USPS, like just these small little um, person to person touch points in a day, like being a good person, being friendly like you are, making friends, like friends help, man. And it's hard to say no to a friend and them joking with you about sushi coming in. I think that's so cool. No, 100%. I, I definitely agree. I think I've said it. I'm sure other people have said it, but I say the fish got me into the hobby and the people keep me in it. And I'll, I, I can get into a lot of things that have happened where people, other you know, fish keepers, aquarists in the hobby have helped me out a ton. Um, but no, the relationship I had with the, uh, the postal workers, it makes it easy. They've made my life a lot easier. And I think I've made theirs also easier because at first I was handwriting all the labels. And if, if everyone's ever ordered fish for me, I try to write like a little just thank you note and I handwrite it. And my I'm a lefty and I have chicken scratch. Like I should have been a doctor. <laughs> so I think it was partly because the um, the post office, I was just like literally paying the, um, I don't know what the term is, but when you go into the post office, you pay a certain rate. But if you, if you hook it up to like your website, there's more discounted rates you can obviously get. And I wasn't taking advantage of that. So I think it was partially, um, this was actually Adriana. She shouted out to me. She goes, hey, listen, you should look into, you know, some of those websites. You can print it out, get better rates. And I think she was doing it because she didn't want to have to read my chicken scratch and type in, type in the addresses every time. <laughs> so um, what service are you using online for that? Well, my it's called GoShippo.com. And I guess it's connected um, WildFishTanks.com, my website. It's just one of their partners, so I just chose to use it. But it's it's called Shippo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a couple of those different programs out there. These these companies. And the nice thing is that um, you know, and I don't mean to say this in any disparaging way, but for somebody that's a relatively small USPS volume shipper, you're able to hook up with them, and then they basically get you on the same meter, if you will, as you know, you and a thousand other people that are shipping pantyhose or rings or you know Etsy crafts or whatever it is. And, exactly. And, get and that you, buying power. And you, yeah, exactly. They leverage that. You know, they get a little bit on their end. Um, but you then get access to much better USPS rates. So, um, and, and I think maybe we'll just turn like this first part of the podcast into kind of understanding, you know, your shipping process and how much you want to dive into that and just kind of, you know, I think one interesting thing, well, a couple, a couple of very interesting things. One, like you and I, we could just BS and talk about all sorts of random stuff, but if we wanted to kind of keep it a little bit focused, I'd love to know what's kind of going on in your fish room since the last time we talked. Cause I know that you're just scoring, you're scoring stuff on Craigslist and like buy nothing Orlando or whatever it is all the time. Um, but yeah. then also like, you know, you making your fish available, um, to, I would assume anywhere in the, uh, in the lower 48 or the, you know, the non-Alaska Hawaii States, um, and just kind of talk about that and maybe some of the logistics around, you know, how you operate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, actually, I have not yet shipped to Alaska, but I'd be open to it. So any, any Alaska listeners out there, I'm willing to work with you. And Hawaii, I've shipped to Hawaii a few times now, and I've shipped to Puerto Rico plenty of times. Um, so I try to uh, not only I – mean, it's, it's a two-way street. I try to do it so I can serve more people but also to learn, like I, I, I want to be able to provide fish to more and more people, but it helps me out too, learning to go through the process, walking through someone with the Hawaii permit. I've done that a couple of times now. Um, but in terms of my everyday shipping process, I enjoy it because I ship, like I said, on Tuesdays and Saturdays. So usually a day or two before I will go through 
pull the orders and start fasting the fish. And I actually, you know, I learned this from Dan's Fish. Big shout out to Dan's Fish. Um, I learned a lot from a lot of different YouTubers and, and fish shippers. Um, but I'll fast the fish and shipping fish, I think like 80% of it is just making sure they're not pooping in the bag and keeping that water quality, um, you know, as good as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, I think the biggest thing that's part of my success is making sure I fast the fish for at least a day or two before putting them in the bag for another two to three days. And I know some people may be saying, oh my gosh, these fish aren't eating for four or five days. And yes, that's true. But I would say if you go on a vacation for, you know, four or five days, you could get away with not feeding the fish either. And they seem to do, you know, just fine. You, you can go, where, where did I go? Was it, um, let's see, which trip am I trying to refer to? I believe it was the Peru trip last year. Only half of my tanks actually had an auto feeder on it. The other half didn't, and those fish did just fine. And, and kind of my, my logic behind that was the heavier stock tanks with younger fish are the ones that I put an auto feeder on, and the more established, you know, year-old angelfish, you know, just the pair in a 20 high, like, I didn't worry about them because I knew I knew they were going to be okay. I knew they were going to be super hungry when I got back. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I lost a single fish whatsoever. Uh, the only pets that I actually needed somebody to look after were was my um, – actually, I walked my betta over in, like, a little small critter keeper to my neighbor. So he watched, <laughs> he watched the betta. And then just because that, that just kind of made sense, and it's like, why not? Um, yeah. And then uh, my gargoyle gecko, who I put in a small little five-gallon and took over as well. But those are the only two pets. Everything else in the fish room, you know, all 30 – five plus tanks at that time or whatever it was. Um, yeah, they, everybody did fine. And I think I was gone for at least, you know, Peru was a couple, a couple, a couple weeks. And then, uh, I was in Northern California, I think for a couple weeks, kind of on bookends of, of that Peru trip. So you can go, you can go a very long time. Uh, your fish can go a very long time without food. Um, and, and they'll be just fine. Yeah. I think, like you said, the only thing I would be worried about would be like small fry, like, you mm -hmm. know, newly hatched up. Other than that, you know, a lot of the fish that are, you know, leaving the cave and going to the mail are, you know, at least three, four months old. So they, they may not be full grown adults, but they're not needing to eat every day to survive. You know, essentially, they're already past that point. I think I think your point of kind of going through the process, you learning so many things from like Dan uh, from from Dan's fish room and Dan, it's Dan's from Dan's fish room, right? Correct. Yeah. OK, I, I want to make sure I got his name right. Um, and just going through this process, and I completely agree with that because when I shipped uh, angelfish, the only time I've ever shipped fish, and probably the only time I ever will, maybe, um, to my friend in Chicago, that was a very, very enlightening experience. And I'd almost recommend that anybody that's, you know, multiple tank syndrome kind of fish nerd, like I would just recommend just going through the process once, like find a friend in an opposite side of the country or where, you know, wherever it is that you're gonna have to mail fish to and just go through that process. So you can really have an appreciation for like an Aquahuna or a Ryan at, uh, you know, look, uh, formerly of Lucky Schmuck's fish tank of wild, of, uh, wild fish tanks. And, you know, you just understand like what actually goes into it. So, you know, if you happen to order fish and something maybe goes a little bit sideways, you have a little bit of sympathy and a little bit of grace for the person that's doing the shipping. Yeah, for sure. There's a great point in terms of friends to this day. If I'm sending out a fish for the first time, like when I first sent out plecos, I think the first person I sent them to, um, was Elizabeth of, uh, one fish, two fish, ROC, just a friend from YouTube. So I like to send them and I'll even do it, you know, just for free to send people fish just to try it out. That way there's no, if something does go wrong, I don't feel bad. It's not someone who's purchasing fish. Um, but to this day, if I'm sending out a new type of fish, 
I like to find someone that I know through the hobby that lives at least a couple states or across the country, and then I'll send them the fish. I'll, I'll package them different ways. I'll package, you know, the same fish in a poly bag and in a breather bag. And then just to see if it works or not, you know, trial and error. It's a lot of trial and error. What, what have you found so far? I mean, God, there's so many avenues I want to go down right now, but just let, let's just start with um, that most recent comment. Poly bag, normal fish bag versus breather bag. Like what, what kind of, you know, quote unquote experiments have you done? What have been your findings? What do you lean more towards? Yeah, so I'm leaning more towards the breather bags right now. And I think it's going to come down to what type of fish you're, you're, you're shipping. I'm mostly shipping shrimp, bristlenose, plecos, guppies, and some native fish. And I found that breather bags do well for most of those fish. If I have um, is it, larger plecos, is it that, that the is it that the breather bags work better, or is it that they just they work just as good as the normal traditional bag, but they take up a quarter of the space or something of that of that you know significant size difference? I, the, this is going to sound weird maybe, but I feel as if the fact that they're all filled with water, so there's kind of like a more of a cushion, the, the fish aren't getting thrown around as much. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm in Florida, so in the summer it gets pretty hot. And obviously, you know, I, I, put, I do put cold packs in. But that being said, I feel like the, the water, you get a little more water in a breather bag as opposed to a poly bag. Usually people are putting like a third water, two-thirds air, or half and half, something like that. Um, it, it could potentially... Uh, the, the temperature could, could swing one way or another more, whereas if you have, you know, solid water and more volume of water, it may take a little longer to push that temperature too hot or too hmm. cold. Um, the breather bags are a little more expensive, but I, I kind of I've, I've been in my groove with them. If I do have an issue and I haven't had one recently, um, larger bristlenose plecos would be the one fish that I have had some like punctured bags before. But believe it or not. In the last two months, I maybe had one or two bags arrive punctured. The fish still survived. That's how hardy like the, the bristlenose plecos mm -hmm. can be, even though the bag arrived with pretty much no water. Have you thought about doing any like yogurt containers or anything like that for the bristlenose with just a bunch of holes in it? You put the bristlenose in that yogurt container, put that container then in a breather bag just like normal? No, I haven't, but that's actually a good idea. I've never thought – I now that you've mentioned that, I have seen – other like larger fish or spiny fish or things like that get mm -hmm. shipped in similar things. Um, right now, this is actually shout out to Corey. I've heard him mention it a bunch of times in terms of just different business practices. If some, if more than 5% of something is, you know, an issue, then he looks to change it or whatever. And I'm, I'm at like one or 2% issue if that. So it's to me, I'm cool. I'm not looking to really mm -hmm. change up too much. Cause like I said, I really don't have that much of an issue. Um, and I'm not really shipping full-grown, large bristlenose plecos too often. It's usually in that kind of one-and-a-half-inch to two-inch range, and I haven't had many issues with those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if, I mean, if you find that that, 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 uh, that is a thing, then like deli cups or something like that, so you go into your local what's – your, what's your local grocery chain there in Florida? Publix. Publix, Publix yeah. Awesome. So you go, yes. you, go, you go into Publix, you get your small little side of like potato salad or something and save that little container. And then, uh, you know, you build those up and then you can start using those for shipping your bristlenose if, if you ever ran into that. No, that's a great idea. Actually, I already have them. I, I buy those by bulk. Oh, there you that's go. what I actually use to fast the fish sometimes. I'll take mm. those little, I think they're, I think they're one pound uh, deli containers. I buy them in bulk online, but um, I'll, I'll literally place the fish in those for a day or two to fast them. That's what I use to fast the fish is little deli containers actually. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I did the, um, I would, I would echo that, that I did the fast. I think I did at least 
for sure a day. I might have did. I might have done two days um, on my fast for the angelfish, and then and and that was like the whole tank. I did. I I did the fast of the whole tank, and then I picked uh, the fish that I was going to ship, um, and then I took out the extra little insurance policy. Where just for me, like this would probably drive up costs for you or any other fish shipper. But I included nice long or nice chunks of poly filter. I always mix it. Up. I always call it polyfiber or polyfilter. Oh yes, no, I know. Yeah, and I picked I, I that know up. What you're talking about. I picked that. Yeah. One, I picked that one up from Dean, and so that's something that we used to sell at Aquarium Co-op. It just wasn't overly popular, um, but uh, I think I bought the last of what we actually had in stock um, when we discontinued it. But um, I'll take so. We bought the ones that were like four by eight pieces of uh, sheets that were about a half inch thick. And then I, I would just cut like a, you know, a four inch long strip, four by like one or something like that. And I would put that in, um, I put that in each of the bags of the angelfish. And then actually that's something that I also do um, when I take fish into the store. So my little five gallon bucket where I have got the hole drilled with the airline going through it uh, and, the, and the USB air pump. So if I'm going to do it the night before, I'll load that thing up with bristlenose or angels or whatever it is. And then I'll get like a really good sized chunk of that poly filter and throw that in the water as well. Um, and that's something that I picked up from Dean that it's like, that just makes sense. Like that really seems like a pretty darn good idea. If you're going to put fish, you know, in a, you know, just a normal confined. container, confined, yeah. um, you know, basically three gallons worth of water, but it's like 30 angelfish or something like that. It's like, you might as well take out that extra little insurance policy. And sure enough, like everything I've ever given to Robert, cause, cause usually what we'll do is I'll do that the night before I go into work at the warehouse. I'll, um, take that bucket in out of my car, plug it into my office with a USB air pump running. And then whenever Robert shows up sometime later in the day, he'll just take that bucket and take it down to the store. And the whole time it's been aerated, the whole time it's had that extra bit of poly filter in there. And I don't think we've had a single casualty um, in that. And, you know, Grant, we're not going beyond, you know, 12 hours or anything like that. But it's just, you know, it, it, it's really nice knowing that uh, we're doing the best as far as husbandry goes. No, for sure. And that peace of mind, knowing that, you know, they're at the utmost, you know, quality because as the other thing is sometimes you get fish and the fish may arrive alive but they're still like pretty stressed out and they may not make it a day or two because they still have to acclimate to a different tank so i think going above and beyond definitely makes sense i've never played around with the polyfill i have gotten fish a couple times with it in there there's a little cube of it and i mean i I don't think there's any downside to it at all just you know eats up any ammonia or anything foul potentially in the water do you give your shrimp anything to hold on to when you ship Yes. Um, I actually, I put moss in there, a little bit of moss. And I know that if you put too much or if you put like a lot of plants in a bag and then they're in the, the plants are in the dark, it actually has the reverse effect mm-hmm. and can really spoil the water. So I haven't had any losses with shrimp. Although I know that a lot of people who ship shrimp, cause you do want to have something in there to cling on to, but I know a lot of people will use just, um, I don't even know what it is, but like some kind of like plastic netting. It's that or just green. Some, yeah. Some... It's that green netting. I, yeah. What, what does that come from? I don't know. That's got to be like know. a. I bet that's like a. I bet that's like a produce thing. That seems like it, a like a produce something that like they would wrap yeah. apples in or something, and then somebody yeah. was just like, "I'm gonna put this for my shrimp." That would make sense. A lot of the things in the hobby come from you know other, you know other industries or other mm-hmm. things. <laughs> yeah. One. Uh, what What do I do for? So for my shrimp, when I've taken shrimp in, uh, either to I don't think I've ever actually taken shrimp to the co-op, but into our warehouse. Uh, for our little like fun uh, break room tank, what I've done is I've taken cherry shrimp, put them in a bag from the night before, and then I'll take a chunk of old foam. And I got this one from Aquahuna, from Jerry at Aquahuna. He, ta- he takes all of his old sponge filter foams that, you know, it's 
yeah, served in like 10 years. It's, it's, it's done. It's time to get replaced. He takes it and he cuts it up into tiny, small cubes. And then like he throws it into his sumps or, or wherever he throws them. And every time they do a fish or a shrimp shipment, they grab one of those pieces of foam, put it in the bag. It looks like a little Marimo moss ball, but it's just, it, that just happens to be the color of his sponge filter. And on the foam, there's all the little like goodies that the shrimp like to eat, you know, and, like yeah. the graze for. So you're getting that benefit. Although it kind of goes against the fasting thing, but I don't think it really matters as much for shrimp since the bio load is so small, but it gives them something nice to hold on to. Yeah, no, that's such a great idea. Not that I have mass amounts of, you know, old sponges like he does, but <laughs> I do have some and that would, you know, but that's, that's a great idea. It doesn't need to be a big piece like either. It doesn't need to be a big piece either. Yeah. Yeah. Just something. And you're right. I mean, the shrimp, I'll usually, I will fast the shrimp sometimes, but sometimes I'll just put them up there for a couple hours and then change the water. I don't think it's as important to fast the shrimp for two days necessarily when you're going to ship them the, by any means. The, the, the shrimp are just it, crazy like if it's a healthy shrimp and i think that's probably the caveat to this if it's already a healthy shrimp to begin with like they can pretty much go through anything and survive like it's it, it's crazy how hardy shrimp are like my my story of breaking down one of my 20 highs last year um you know kind of knowing that there were some shrimp in there but kind of not like when i moved it outside and it's like straight winter time we actually you know it was one of the couple times a year that we got snow and then the next you know couple days later looking over and i was like oh those cherry shrimp are actually still alive in that 20 <laughs> high outside and you know slowly trying to acclimate them back into the fish room temperature but um i wasn't patient enough i did it too fast and i don't think they made it but nonetheless like they are just super super hardy and the same thing with our with our snails like um, I've got outdoor ponds that overwinter and the uh, the, the uh, pond snails and ramsworm snails no problem they can go just freezes over no worries they're still alive yeah I can attest to the the high heat with the shrimp I mean I, I've kept cherry shrimp upwards of 90 degrees and they've done fine the ones that I've kept out in my you know tubs my small ponds out back have been like some of the reddest just nicest hardiest shrimp and like you said, they'll they'll adjust back, but you do have to kind of um, not you know adjust them slowly, not let them swing from a ninety mm-hmm. back down to a seventy-eight. You know, you got to give them some time, but uh, they will adjust down. How long? Sure. How I'll, long? How long were your ninety-degree weather sustained for? Oh man, I'm let's I don't know about ninety sustained for that long, but eighty-six. I mean, a lot of the tanks in my garage and the tubs outside were at eighty-six for I mean a long time, weeks, like maybe a whole month straight of eighty-six degrees. Um, for the cherry shrimp, the guppies, the bristlenose plecos, and they did fine. They were still breeding. They were still healthy. Um, yeah, hmm. 90, 90, maybe it peaked at 90 for a few days here and there, but 86 consistently. Not that I recommend that, but that's just, that was my experience. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think in many cases, you know, again, if they're healthy to begin with and like, let's just assume that water parameters are good, you know, you've got good clean water for them. I think, um, a lot of these, these fish and shrimp and inverts are a lot hardier than we give them credit for. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I credit to water changes and then just the plants. I keep guppy grass. I don't do anything special with plants, like no CO2, no crazy rare plants, but I keep a lot of guppy grass, a lot of moss, a lot of um, just the simple, simple stuff, some floaters that will just obviously help keep the, you know, the water parameters in check as well. Mm-hmm. So what is your, what is your process look like then? What, what days of the week do you ship on average? And in, I hope this isn't too intrusive of a question, but on average, like how many orders are you, are you processing when you, um, you know, as you ship out, like whatever days a week you ship out? Yeah. So I ship on Saturdays and Tuesdays. I was doing Saturdays and Mondays, but I felt like Saturday and Tuesdays a little bit 
uh, you know, wider apart. And some people question why you would ship on a Saturday. And essentially, the mail does move on Sunday. So when I drop something off at the post office on Saturday, a lot of times it'll get delivered on Monday, if not Tuesday. Because although the mail doesn't get delivered on Sunday, it's still shuffling around from distribution centers and such. So uh, Saturday shipping usually works out well. And then Tuesday shipping is also another good day because it's not too late in the week where it could potentially get stuck and, you know, get, let's say it's getting, you mail it on Thursday and it would have got delivered on Sunday, but now it's got to go wait until Monday. You don't want that happening. So I've settled into Saturday and Tuesday. And in terms of uh, quantity, I remember at the beginning of this year, it was really cool to get like one a day, getting like seven packages out a week. But I've been so lucky the past month or two it's been somewhere around like 25 orders a week or so nice um and that's across i mean i do i do have my listings on my website i have listings on aquabit i have listings on get gills as well as ebay so that's across a few different platforms but i felt like that's just necessary because like you did say i don't take offense like you said earlier i'm a small time you know small small potatoes for sure in terms of a shipper um no matter how you look at it so to, to be able to get 25 orders, I don't mind spraying it across the four, four different platforms wherever I have to, you know, to get the, get the word out. Mm -hmm. where, where are you getting your most um, sales traffic from? Um, I'd say eBay is number one, and then my website would be number two. Okay, so eBay is not necessary. So eBay, somebody just sees it, they fall in love with the picture, they like your pricing, they order. Your website Correct. is somebody like actively had to land on either know you from YouTube, know you from somewhere else, or just a Google search brought them to your to your specific web page. Correct. Yeah, nice. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, I would hope that my my website ranks high on Google. I don't get into any of that. I don't I don't do any SEO or try to, you know optimize it necessarily so i assume that most of the orders coming from my website are people that may know me from youtube or you know when i do sell something on ebay i put in you know my information a little sticker you know a little business card you know to let them know that i do have a youtube channel i do have an instagram i do have my own website um so and then they get some people repeat business back to the website that way speaking of the website ryan what is that website address uh, it's wildfishtanks.com. That's www.wildfishtanks.com, and we'll make sure we've got links in the show notes. And I'm actually perusing wildfishtanks.com right now. Um, and one of the things I noticed, and this is probably because you are busy, but uh, the low stock. So without going into too much detail, like what is the like what what are you doing on your back end on your admin side to um, let people know that something is low stock or like how, how does inventory tracking? Cause obviously being, you know, being director of operations for aquarium co-op and, you know, dry good inventory, um, live aquarium plant inventory. Like those are all things that, you know, we have to be very, very good about cause we don't want to sell something and not actually have it in stock. Um, that's, you know, not a good customer experience and it's also embarrassing for us. So we try to minimize that as much as possible. And I think we do a, a pretty decent job at it. Um, but what, what's your kind of stock philosophy and, you know, how do I know when I see low stock, um, you know, is that something that like I need to act on real fast or just yeah. kind of walk me through that? So a couple things on the website, um, on, on the website, you'll see low stock on a lot of things. And unfortunately the way it's set up. Um, my website's through, like, I think it's Squarespace or Square Up. I don't even know. But the way it's set up is, let's say I have different varieties of something. So let's say I have, you know, I'm selling a black lace guppy. And you can buy them either by just a male, you can buy a pair, you can buy a trio. Well, if I happen to have, like, no males listed, let's say I have, like, I don't want to sell any just plain males. I just have, you know, 
three pairs available and three trios available. The website automatically will say low stock because I'm out of stock on like the males. On one so variance. It's gotcha. like a it's like a weird yeah, it's uh-huh. like a weird it's a weird um algorithm or what have you that puts it there. So there's some things that are that they say low stock that really aren't necessarily low stock. It's because I'm out of a certain variety of them. For instance, like um like the yellow belly uh, Cuban libraries. I have like tons and tons of juveniles. Like for days I have juveniles, but I'm not selling any straight males or pairs right now. So it says low stock. Um, but you know, I'm not in jeopardy of running out of any, uh, you know, juveniles right now. I also try to keep it conservative because my stocking isn't synced across all those four platforms. Right. Mm. So my, yeah, there's, I don't, for all I know, there's no real way. So, I have to kind of sell out, which is a good and bad thing, but I'm, I like, I live and breathe this right now to try to make sure I don't run into a scenario where something gets sold and I don't actually have it and knock on wood that hasn't happened. Um, but I do stay on top of it. Um, I, and I also try, like I only ship on Saturdays and Tuesdays and I say that everywhere I list things, I try to make that clear. I only ship on Saturdays and Tuesdays. So the worst time you could possibly buy from me would be like a Tuesday afternoon. You know, because that means it's it's the longest gap. If you buy from me on a Tuesday afternoon, fish aren't getting shipped out till um, you know Saturday. But I am a small business. I do want to make it right. So if I get an order like last, like I was shipping today, I got some orders last night that I was like, okay, technically I, I could fast them right now. I could drop what I'm doing and fast them right now and get them out tomorrow, or I could just wait and then ship them out Tuesday or on Saturday. I just drop what I'm doing, fast the fish, and that way. It just, it's just a smoother process, a happy customer, um, and they don't have to wait five days. So I, I try to, like, sell out as much as possible and stay on top of it. And it's probably doing a lot more work than I need to on the back end. But while I'm still small and a nobody, I think it's worth it to kind of make sure that people have positive experiences with me and each transaction is a good one, um, you know, so I can so I can continue to grow. Yeah, that, that's huge. I mean, just um, the, the, the studies around you know, acquiring new customers and how important once you actually get a new customer, like customer retention and having that good experience, that that means um, just a little bit more work on your end to ensure that somebody has a good positive experience is, is incredibly valuable, um, you know, especially for the, the um, you know, the chance that they could leave you a positive review and, and help spread uh, through word of mouth about your channel. Um, so, yeah, and- so how often do you go through then and, and update inventories across these, you know, your website or the, the other platforms? I set an alarm for myself. Like every week I'll sit down and that's mostly for it's, I set an alarm and I go through potential stockings to add necessarily. So like I have a bunch of things right now that I'm, I'm waiting to grow out. Like I think super reds on my website right now are out of stock. I probably got to sit down and and add them because some are just coming up to size. So at least once a week I'll sit down and review. Okay. Is there any fish that I don't have listed that I can list? Or is there any fish that, you know, maybe I have listed too many places at one spot and I have to kind of remove the listing or reduce the quantity. Um, but it's kind of a fluid situation, whereas I'm still so small and it's just me doing everything that I know that I'll know, oh, okay, I sold a lot of flagfish on eBay. I need to go right now and I'll do it real time. Like, okay, I just sold 10 flagfish on eBay. I need to go to Get Gills and reduce my inventory on Get Gills on my website because I don't have 15 anymore. I only have the 10 or I only have five now. Um, so a lot of it's kind of that that real time thing. Eventually, as I grow, you know, I hope to probably condense. Oh, there's an alarm right there for check inventory. 
No, that's actually my <laughs> alarm to post on Instagram every day. Oh, there that's you go. I, I try to I try to post on Instagram. I have every day for like I think two years now, but I try to make sure I post every day so I set an alarm in case nice. I forget. <laughs> and that was that. Very nice. Um, I'm big on lists and alarms and that kind of stuff. I um probably OCD. I've never, never been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I'm OCD about some no, stuff. No, I, dude, I'm, I'm with you, man. I like, I like my alarms. I like my alerts and I like my to-do lists. Yeah, for sure. So I know, okay. So if you're on, well, let's recap that you're on wildfishtanks.com. You sell on eBay, you sell on Gitgills, you sell on Aquabid. I know for at least two of those, um, you know, multi-channel sales platform, inventory management software systems out there. And I, I know that was a mouthful. You can call them a bunch of different names, but they would basically <laughs> say like, okay, everywhere that you have inventory or everywhere that you sell and you have one common inventory, um, and you manage various listings, like you can actually, you know, download, use those software. And sometimes they range from free or hundred, 150 bucks a month, like whatever that is. And, you know, at, at your level, maybe the 150 is just like, wait, no way, no way I'm going down that rabbit hole. But, you know, if there's any that were reasonably priced or maybe free, like that would be a really powerful thing to look into, at least to manage the eBay and the wildfishtanks.com side of things. And then you probably still have to, for some time, unless get gills or, um, Aquabid had like that backend API hookup or something, which I cannot imagine they do. It'd be pretty cool if they did. Um, but then you'd have to manage those ones manually, but at least you'd then have kind of one central dashboard where you're like, Oh, okay. Golden top minnow. Overall, I've said that I've got 20 of these guys. I've got five allocated here, 10 allocated there and so on and so forth. No, that'd be awesome. I appreciate that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense and that would definitely make my life a lot easier. 150 a month, you know, yeah, I would probably, you know, balk at that. But if there's <laughs> yeah, cheaper for options, sure. For sure. if there's cheaper options, I mean, for right now, I mean, obviously at a certain point, I'd mm -hmm. love to be able to be like, yeah, 150 bucks and drop in the bucket. Yeah. Um, yep. But no, that definitely makes sense, especially like you said, for wild fish tanks and eBay, which are you know, my two you, main. Well, because because yeah. we're, we're talking, Ryan, like this thing's going to keep growing and you're going to keep kicking butt with wildfishtanks.com. So that's, <laughs> that's why we're talking like this. All right. We're, we're talking about, we're just planning for the future, my friend. All right. No, so, I love it. You know what? I, you know what I love? I love. Um, what do you have on here? I'm loving that golden top minnow, fungulus, chrysotis, the killifish. That guy's beautiful, and your uh, bright scarlet red endler. That sucker is pretty. Yeah, I've been I've been really getting into the guppies and endlers. I got a lot of stuff in the next few months that should be available in the fish room right now. Um, I got a lot of different um, albino guppies that have been not extremely difficult, but I have found they eat their fry a little more. So definitely a lot of live bears. I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I like to, I like to figure out what works for me and I'll lean into it. So that's why I do a lot of the bristlenose placos. I got some long fins that, um, fingers crossed should be should be going for me here soon hey, the, a lot of the guppies real quick the, the guppies that are that are more so preying on their young are they are they a bigger tail or a smaller tail than what you would consider normal because it's interesting cause i don't the, like the, i, I the, found the theory here is that the shorter the tail on the guppy the faster they are therefore they're able to catch the fry easier and so that's kind of like this thought of was that, that I, I think I might have been talking to Dean about it, but the Vienna guppies, they have shorter tails. They have, they have, you know, the males have a more spade-like shorter tail. I think the females fall in line, but they're not this big, massive flowing guppy tail. And so they're actually a little bit more nimble. They're a little quicker. And it seems like they prey a little bit more on their young than, than like a, a traditional fancy guppy with a big old fantail on it. 
that makes a lot of sense. My maybe. my friend Chris, maybe. my friend, what's that? <laughs> I said maybe it makes sense. I don't know. No, I don't know. Well, no, there's different theories. Like, I mean, my, my friend Chris, he goes, no, the prettier they are, the more they like to eat them, which is hilarious. That's funny. But yeah, the more expensive. I, no, 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 because yeah, they because the they know they know that they 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 taste better they when they're more yeah, expensive. That's <laughs> the one. Whatever one you really want to work on, that's the one they're going to eat. Um, but for me, like the first ones, and like I said, I've, I've heard this before. Maybe it's just because I've heard it, but it seems to be true for me. Like the albino, I have a really nice full red albino, which delta tail, big flowing delta tail on the male. So kind of goes against your theory, but they seem to be chompers on their fry big time. Well, um, I mean, you know, granted it's, it's against their own kind, but albino, al- you know, the, the albino animals, that's like nature's way to say, Hey, come eat me. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't blend in with my, with my surroundings. Like, you know, no, c- come, come crush me. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's why, you know, they, albino fish don't like, you know, pre- aren't like super prevalent in the e- wild. Exactly. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think, you know, of all the, the fish that we caught in Peru, I don't, I don't think a single one of any of the variety were, um, were, were albino. Not that we were pulling up, you know, millions of fish or anything, but yeah, I just, I just don't think that, uh. You know, it sounds like everything, and I haven't read, like, the official, um, any official studies on it, but I'm pretty sure that that's just kind of, like, the conventional wisdom. Um, yeah, good times. So, what what else you got going on in the, yeah, uh, in the fish room? Yeah, so besides, like I said, I've been really kind of leaning into the guppies and the plecos, but I have been wanting to challenge myself a little bit. So, I've, I've had some of the Cynodontus petricola and some other egg layers and scatters. I have some Congo tetras that are of breeding size. I, got, I have, like, three females and two males. The Shodenta? I have... Say that again. The Shodenti puffers? No, 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 no. I have um, Cynodontus petricola, right. and I have uh, Congo tetras. Uh, oh, did I say Congo. Congo puffer? Yeah, I saw. Did I, I say puffer? I'm I sorry. Think, did you say? I swear you said puffer. Maybe I probably did. I probably. It's did. all good. <laughs> okay, but, but I made Congo, Congo tetra. I nice. Congo tetra. That's a beautiful so, fish. I'm trying to get some egg layers. I actually have some little uh, panda cory wigglers growing out right now, and believe it or not, this is not even like a, a plug or anything, but the uh, the Zis. I guess it is a plug, but I didn't, I didn't plan this. The Zis, uh, the, the, the Zis egg tumbler has been really working out. Like I've been playing around with, you know, um, you mentioned earlier how I kind of, I, I buy a lot of uh, stuff on the cheap locally. I, I peruse Craigslist and offer up and try to get deals and I'll buy people's fish rooms and stuff like that. So I get a lot of just kind of random stuff and I've had different kind of random egg tumblers. I don't think I've ever bought an egg tumbler or shop for one, but I happen to have like two or three different kinds and they've worked with like varying success, but I've been using the um, the Zis egg tumbler for my panda quarries, and it's been working out really well. And I was actually harvesting some dwarf neon rainbow eggs this morning, and um, you know, like I said, I'm hoping to get the Congo tetras, the Cynodontus petricola. They'll spit out tons of eggs. I've actually exchanged a few emails back and forth with Greg Sage about kind of the best thing to how to raise them because I've been having issues with the petricola getting them from wigglers up to you know actual fry. Mm-hmm. But that's that's stuff that. So some people out there is not the most, you know, uh, it's not breeding Congo puffers for sure, but it's that next step where I'm trying to challenge myself, and it's a little more difficult than the plecos and the no, for and sure. The guppies. Uh, you you do belong to like the Tampa Bay Aquarium Club, right, or Orlando, aren't you? Yeah, it's Tampa Bay. It's Tampa Bay. Okay. Unfortunately, there's no Orlando one that I know of. If there is someone, I don't, you know, let me know, but I don't think so. <laughs> okay, and uh, I would assume Tampa Bay then has like a Breeders Award program. <clears throat> I do believe they have one, but I don't think it's really active or they've really up kept with it um let's, let's so yeah i'm not up. unfortunately i'm not really involved with that you gotta well at the very least i mean because i've um 
I've started submitting, and, I, and there's probably two or three species that I haven't submitted for because I don't have any pictures, and it's been a while. Like uh, white cloud minnows, I bred you know a good number of those in a, in a w- very nice planted twenty high in the fish room, and I haven't submitted a um, a, uh, a a point submission for that one. But I think I've I've recently like last week I went and put like. 10 different ones that I just kept thinking like, oh, I did breed that. And I, I, maybe I do have a picture for it. Yeah. A couple of them didn't have a picture, but I still, I still claimed them anyway. Um, and so I, I'm kind of, um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of swinging a little bit where I still want to produce a lot of the, the Corydora, um, the Scleromastix barbatus. I still want to kick out these, uh, these discus, which they just spawned, you know, they spawned again, um, last week. And I think at least like six of the eggs made it. And keep in mind, like I'm not blocking off the parents. I know the parents eat the eggs. I know the parents eat the juveniles. Um, <laughs> and I had like four fry that I thought were almost going to make it to the point where they're feeding off the parents. And then they ate them. But they just oh. went ahead and laid. They laid on the, uh, what do I have in there? Like an E100 Fluval heater. And they laid probably like 150 eggs. So I finally said, you know nice. what? I'm going to put something to block these darn parents off so they don't eat the eggs. So I made out of um, the light diffuser. I made this okay. like a little like, goofy cage with zip ties and light diffuser, and I put that um, so it's got three sides to keep them away from it. And so I put that against the E100, but I didn't make it tall enough so they could technically kind of swim over it still. Uh, but then they would knock it over potentially. So um, I, I'm actually going to try. I'm ac- I'm actually going to really give it an effort and um, keep these fry from from being eaten by the parents because because the 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 idea is that. You know, you want them, you want the parents to be able to see the eggs. You want the parents to be able to get close to them, but you don't want them to be able to physically touch them um, because they'll eat the eggs or they'll eat the fry. But once the fry are ready and the parents have seen them the whole time and, you know, have had the whole sensory experience with the exception of being able to eat them, the parents will still accept the fry when they come to eat the mucus off of their body when they're at that stage. Gotcha. And and that's where, you know, before um, a summertime California trip, I, I had one of my spawns, like 20, 25 of these tiger turquoise discus made it past eggs they made it past wigglers they made it to start eating off the parents i was able to give them brine shrimp and they were doing great and then the parents laid eggs again and i didn't have another tank ready that was at temperature to take the fry and move them and the next day i came back from work i was gonna pull them parents crushed them It was too late. It was too late. Dang, Heartbreaking, man. man. But, Heartbreaking. But kudos to you for, but I mean, kudos to you for keep going. I tell people this all the time. Like, I love the the guppies and the plecos, and as much as they're quote unquote easy, like it took me, you know, a year and a half, two years to grow out the plecos and get them going. So there's definitely like a reward system. But the more difficult it is, and the more trial and error, just this is that much more rewarding when you finally do get it to click. It's and I know yeah. I forget if it was if, I forget if it was a, a video of yours, which I really appreciate when you I know you. You don't always put out videos on YouTube. When you do, I think I'm not alone because I'm, I'm an avid listener of the podcast <laughs> and of your YouTube channel. I don't know if it was there or one of the episodes on the podcast recently where you talked about how – because back in the day, you kind of were going to do a full-blown discus fish room, but then you decided, okay, I'm going to maybe keep a few pairs but I'm not going to mainly focus on discus. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you are going to keep a few pairs, though, and, and get it going, You know, at least you know figure out the, the kinks and, and get, them, get them going. Yeah, it's – you know, it, it it's, I'm trying to, this is just where like, I'm trying to grow as a person, like constantly trying to grow, trying to be more patient, trying to put my um, need for instant gratification. Like I'm trying to put that in check <clears throat> and, and being a fish keeper very much like, you know, I mean, you can be a fish keeper and be impatient, but if you want to be like a very successful breeder, um, you know, and I, I emulate somebody like Dean or, you know, any of these old school guys that have just been in for so long. And I think the common theme is patience, right? So, um, 
Without the, a doubt. It, the, Without a doubt. The discus, I mean, the discuses were like I kind of waved a white flag like halfway. Like if there's a flagpole, I kind of put the I put the I put it halfway up the mast <laughs> because <laughs> because trying to turn it into a discus factory and the other problem was I basically got red melons, I got tiger turquoise, I got blue diamonds, I got pigeon bloods, all of these basically at the same time. So they all came in at about two inches. So then I've dedicated you know, 25%, 30% of my available fish room tank capacity to growing out these various types of fish. And then, you know, me kind of coming to the realization that, man, I probably should not have these discus in tanks that have three sides painted. In tanks that not only are they painted, but then they're all black. So that's kind of messing with them a little bit. Um, the pigeon bloods, to be fair, the pigeon bloods never came out of their shell. Even at even at quarantine, when I picked them up from the from the co op from the from the wholesaler, they were just yeah. this skittish ball that you know they never they never recovered from that. So sure, putting them in my tanks that were painted three sides probably didn't help. But I think that's kind of a lesson learned for me that you know unless I'm unless I'm going to work with a species that absolutely needs to have the sides blocked off, then um, I'm not going to paint the sides of my tanks. And if I do, then if I, what, if I need to, I'll just take like a black piece of plastic and just put it between two tanks. Like if for some reason I need to keep fish from looking at each other. So, yeah. so yeah, the, you know, part of the discus decision, the, the, the double D as we'll call it, uh, <laughs> a, par, a part of that double D move to go away from discus, or at least part of it was that, you know, I'd have to completely revamp my fish room. I'd have to, you know, change the color of the background or at the very least, you know, scrape the two sides of, of each of these tanks so that they could see across. But, you know, I, I did have some that were that seemed to be paired off and seemed to be doing well. Like I've got a pair of blue diamonds. I've got one pair of red melons. I've got obviously the pair of tiger turquoise that are doing well. I've got yeah. two other pair of tiger turquoise that I think one pair might... See, they're not, they're not both fee. I, I, it's hard to tell because they could be male, female, and I just need to be more patient, which, you know, again, that's kind of the name of, of this little conversation right here is patience, but they haven't laid eggs. And I've had like two angelfish females together, and they would basically just take turns laying eggs. And I haven't had any egg laying from that particular tiger turquoise pair. And I'm kind of okay with it because they're growing well. They're, they actually come up like when I'm going to feed them, they're not skittish. And so that's almost like, Hey, I've got these cool discus that aren't, you know, afraid of me and run away every single time. One of the third pair of tiger turquoise that has spawned, I actually think I still may get rid of them and free up that 20 or when I say get rid of, I mean, I take them back to the co-op and then they finally get home. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're, we're basically, you know, making available like four inch discus or five inch discus for a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. You um, can't find those usually. <laughs> and yeah. that's, and that's part Especially- of yeah, especially sorry, ones that have like been in someone's in someone's fish in, in someone's fish room and not that's been you know not like a wild caught one or something like that that's been like in a bunch of different uh, tanks or what have you. You know, I'm sure the ones that you're bringing there are super high quality and healthy as heck. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but yeah, you, you know, and it's when I see the size of mine compared to like, oh, we brought in, we just brought in like some new discus and they're like these tiny little silver dollars. It's like, oh, I guess I kind of like, you know, I kind of like mine. And um, so, yeah, I, I partly threw in the towel, but I, I did it because I needed to, I needed to get some more excitement in the fish room. And that's where, oh, I can now bring in, um, well, granted those are going to the 40 breeder, but I could bring in the Epistogramma agazizii fire reds. Uh, I could bring those guys in and I can bring in, um, you know, a male, female betta and, and, you know, check that off my box of I've bred, I've bred bettas now, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to need this available tank space to grow these fry out or to just sit on other fish and let them grow and let them mature. Um, and I think now I'd have to go back and date it, but I think those scleromastics barbatus, they're getting pretty darn plump. They're getting pretty big compared to when I brought them in and I would be, 
I'd be shocked if the next couple months I didn't have some some actual spawning activity from one of the two tanks that I have them in, and that's going to be real exciting. And but those get pretty decent size. Those are pretty decent chunky core. They're right? chunky, yeah. They're definitely yeah. they're definitely getting getting pretty darn chunky. They're you know they're a pricey fish too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm it, it's just throwing in the towel a little bit so I can you know keep some enjoyment, keep some satisfaction, keep some excitement in the fish room. But also like you know these other ones like I still really want to work with them. I still really want to have like you know I would not be sad if I consistently had like a group of uh, discus fry, a couple of groups of discus fry I'm I'm raising up, and a couple group of uh, groups of angelfish fry that I'm also growing up at the same time. In addition to all of these other fish that um, you know I'm currently working with and, and yeah. having success with. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I kind of half threw in the towel for, I mean, these pandacories that I've had, I've had these pandacories for two years, I feel like, and they, they kind of bred once for me in a 20-gallon long, just that it's happened to breed, and but I, I didn't have it really set up properly, and I have some stir-by quarries that I've had for probably just as long, and I kind of was like, man, I, you know, I was so, the plecos and the guppies were just kind of on, on easy mode and i almost was you know like resistant to this you know i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't get it to work and i wanted to give up completely almost got rid of them happy i didn't um but now that i've been another thing is i've been hatching out brine shrimp left and right um every day every other day i said the most every other day hatching out brine shrimp and with the egg tumblers it kind of got a system i'm big on like systems and and getting it like in a in a method and once i kind of got that down and can stay true to it now i'm like i'm ready to take on some of these these egg scatterers but i think you got to stay true to yourself and if you're not gonna you know if you're not gonna want to do a ton of discus or i'm not gonna want to do a whole fish from a corridoras then it's okay to switch gears and it's okay to you know change up things like you said and have a have an outlet like you can you know bring them to the store or what have you you know plan ahead but um i think that's part of the beauty of the hobby is there's so many things you can do. Like I one day want to switch and I want to get into some larger Lake Tanganyikans. Right now I keep the lemon cichlids, the lupi, which I got those breeding. The Cynodontis petricola is a Tanganyikan catfish. Um, I have some shell dwellers, but I really like to get into some frontosa one day. And I know that I just don't have, I don't keep many large tanks. I have a couple 55s, but you know, not now, like in a couple of years, that's something I'm looking forward to is, you know, getting a colony of frontos and potentially bringing those in a much larger tank. And, you know, maybe I'll, you know, in two years, I might not even keep any guppies. Who knows, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I, I definitely enjoy that part of the hobby. And I wanted to, to go back where you're saying about the patience. Not only has the hobby taught me patience, right? But I feel like the hobby has taught me like DIY things, doing things in the garage when I, you know, construct the air loop system or any of these type of you know DIY projects involved in the fish keeping hobby, that's given me the confidence to literally fix my dryer. My dryer, you know, <laughs> fix my lawnmower. I'm not even joking. Like, fix uh, my lawnmower. Awesome. Like get out and like do these things where it's like two years ago, I my I called the dryer repairman. I'm like, no, I can do. I can figure this out. I can watch a YouTube video. If I can build a loop system, I can fix a dryer. You know, and it turns <laughs> and it usually turns out to be like a five dollar part and maybe an hour's worth of time. But like it's it's cool and it's rewarding, and I really do credit fish keeping for that, for giving me you know the confidence and just kind of getting me into that that habit of okay, you can do some things, you can you can learn and take those skills that you learned in fish keeping and introduce them to other aspects of your life, you, you know, patience including. Yeah, run, running a fish room, you you learn to be scrappy, you learn to be um, very resourceful. I don't I don't know if um, are you on the co-op forum? Um. I'm not. I, I signed up, but I'm not. Gotta, I know. You got to get on. There. I know. My so. thing is, I, I I don't like to do it unless I like. I, I kind of half 
do you say can you can we kind of curse we say ass i don't know we half, <laughs> i uh, think i, I think did, so. i think we can let that one slide okay well sorry about that but i kind of i have do like facebook in general and like forums i just i, I just i'm probably not gonna be able to commit to it um but no i don't, I don't think yeah I, I wouldn't even call it a commitment or anything it's just something kind of fun to peruse and, you know we're, we're trying to resurrect this um you know what was once a, a very vibrant part of people interacting with each other um in the forum space you know being able to see these various posts and kind of everybody had a voice you you of course had people that were more prominent and you know a lot more vocal you had people that would just creep and you know be wallflowers and just get information or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. um and then that kind of went away with with youtube and various other social media influencer type um type avenues where you know those most vocal people on the forums just kind of started their own YouTube channels. And then that kind of has turned into what we've seen YouTube become, but the community voice is basically non-existent anymore. And so the idea of the forum is, you know, let's kind of bring that back. So everybody can share what they're doing. Everybody can chime in. And it's just, you know, uh, let's take it, let's take, let's get that experience back. So that being said, that spiel aside, um, I brought that up because I have this, um, I have this clear, you know, Costco sized tote in my garage of just various PVC elbows, half inch, um, three quarter inch, one inch, some, some two inch black ABS. So all of the leftover parts, right? Because, you know, building a fish room, one thing you learn is when you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, you buy everything you think you might need and a little bit more. Because you don't want to make those multiple mm-hmm. trips. You, I think, you actually live down the road from your lows, so you, yeah, you, a you're a little bit, you're a little bit yeah. lucky. I'm I'm about a 20 minute drive, you know, each Oof. way, and so you know, you buy you buy you buy a couple more 90 degree elbows, or you buy a, a couple more, you know, 10 foot runs, or what, whatever it is. So I've got this, um, I've got this bin of leftover parts, and um, when my, my two of my 40 breeders that were Tetra slash Marineland from 2007, their okay. seals went out. And so it wasn't like a gush, but it was definitely a, a slow trickle. And it's like, great, I, I have to replace these. And the first one that I did, I happened to have an Aquion 40 breeder that was not drilled, uh, painted, one one side painted with the back painted uh, that I had my Shodentai puffer in at first. So I got that out of the shed, um, drilled it up, and then did the whole you know process of moving over a million super red bristle nose with fry that range from one week to, you know, up to the breeding adults. So that is not fun, fishing those out. It yeah. did give me the opportunity to purge, hopefully, all of the Malaysian trumpet snails th- that were in that tank. Um, which now that I look at your website, I should have just mailed That's them all to task. you. I should have mailed them right. to you, unless you need. <laughs> although you probably don't need no, them. No, I got, I got, I got more than I need myself. <laughs> I've been, I've been, uh, I've been really working on the assassin snails. I, ah. know, I've been throwing those in. They've been doing pretty well for me. Um, taking care of the Malaysian trumpet snails and the ram's horns. Nice, so. nice. So, so being very long-winded here, um, what I'm getting at is, is I needed, um, I needed my overflow. So I had remaining, I had leftover bulkheads, which always have your bulk, always have a couple extra bulkheads just lying around. That that's just good. That's just good wisdom because you yes. you can't you can't pick those up at Home Depot and Lowe's. You typically have no. to buy those online. So always you always have a couple of those spare and handy. So I, I did have a couple of those. Um, but I needed to make my 90 degree uh, drain elbow out of, you know, leaving the bulkhead down to the the drain system. And so I had to Frankenstein from, you know, what would normally be like a, a two piece, like a, a 90 degree elbow with the, the screw, um, a screw side for the uh, for the barb fitting. Yeah. Um, so then I could slip on. Uh, the clear tubing to run into my two inch drain line. I think I ended up using like four different pieces of PVC. 
<laughs> with what I had lying around. Just to get from one to the other. Hey, but you got Dude, there. It worked. Right? It worked. It, it worked. And I used extra pieces that I was never going to use again. Like, what other what other project am I going to have in my life where I'm like, thank God I had all of those, you know, three quarter inch pieces of PVC and all these weird, like, different, you know, configurations. Like, never, never. It's only my fish room that I'm ever going to do that. So no, for sure. Like when I um, I, I actually. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I did like tilapia breeding or attempted to tilapia breeding. I think we probably talked about it yeah, last time. Yeah, I remember time. that, yeah. And after I after I shut that down, I had a bunch of like miscellaneous parts and da da da. And I was like, what am I going to need this for? So I, I got rid of I think I, I don't know if I threw them out or gave them away. And then now, like three years later, I'm like, crap, I wish I would have had all those lots of little, you know, all those extra parts and stuff I would still be using. Um, but, I, but I've accumulated some more along the way for sure. Uh, and to your point about the, the community, it, the – one of the, the I think the one of the biggest parts of having something like a forum as opposed to a YouTube video is when you have when you need help and you need you know question answered, sure, I may know a little bit more than the average person about bristle nose plecos, but nothing compared to potentially an army of two thousand people, you know, like two thousand people that have kept bristle nose plecos for, you know, six months apiece, a year apiece, maybe there's a couple more, are just gonna know infinitely more than just one person. So a lot of times, you know, people ask me questions and I do the best I can. But the real, if you, if you have like questions about any kind of fish, the best thing is to crowdsource it. And you really can't crowdsource it on a video. You can go to the comment section, ask a question, but that's really, that you know, it's not the, ideal. That is it's the, not good. Like, yeah. I, I, I hate to say goofiest thing, but when I've, when I've scrolled through comments and it's like, why is this person asking a question that has nothing to do with the video? Like what, what, it, how is that even like a place where you think you're going to get information from? Like you, have you tapped yeah. Google for all the search results possible? <laughs> and this video is where you're going to ask that question. Like what? I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I hope the person gets the question answered and they can move on with, you know, whatever they need to do. But it's like, that just seems like the worst possible place. Like you might, you might be better off just going to your local library and writing a handwritten note and posting it to their cork board and hoping to get a better answer from there than like the YouTube comment section. I don't know what to tell tough. you. It's tough. But no, that's the thing. A forum, a forum is perfect for that. That's a, that's a perfect for a forum to crowdsource it and, you know, get opinions of multiple people who might have might have come across that situation or at least something, you know, yeah, really you should, similar. You, sh- you should drop in there, man. For the, for the sake of the, you know, fish porn, and again, we're like, we're getting real, real um, uh, adulty here with our words, but like just the, <laughs> the, the threads that are like, you know, wow, this person would, would doesn't have an Instagram account. They don't share any other stuff on social media, but they're showing all these pictures about, oh, this is the project that I'm working on. I'm, I'm restoring, I want to do a Metaframe tank and I want it to be um, accurate to like a 1920s fish book and like what you would have actually had available to you in 1920s. Like, and I think that's, is that Daniel? Is this a real form? example you're giving us? Yes, I'm neat. actually, I'm giving you a legitimate okay, <laughs> real example. I figured, I figured like, you were, because I'm like, that sounds really yeah. specific. But that's awesome, because that is, yeah, that's something you don't really see on YouTube or anywhere else, really. And that's why, um, another thing you don't see on YouTube, which is why I enjoy, like, your podcast, is people like a Joe Ferdenzi and some of these people, like Rosario LaCour and stuff, that aren't there on the YouTube universe, whatever, and, you know, your podcast, or there's other, other avenues you have to go to to seek this information, but it's information that is just, like, so unique and so valuable and so just, you know, not prevalent. It's not, it's not, uh, it's well, not easily accessible on YouTube. Well, we've taken, you know, you, you, how many people in this country around the world are into the hobby? And then how many of them actually have a YouTube channel? Like it's a fraction of a percent 
a fraction yep. of a fraction of a fraction of of all fish keepers or all people that have a fish room or whatever it is, you know, go down that route to say, hey, you know, I'm going to get a camera and just make videos and have nobody watch them forever and ever until somebody finally picks it up. And then I do get people watching like that. Like there's it, it's just such a misrepresentation of the hobby. And that's where I agree not to go down, a, not to go down a different. No, tangent, no, but... I, me included. Like sometimes sometimes you may find success on YouTube just being, you know, personal, having a personality as opposed to like, you know, success on YouTube doesn't also equal you know knowledge myself included i'll be the first to say that you know like, there's plenty of people mm -hmm. that are you know less known that have a lot more knowledge and it doesn't yeah. always equal up the, for sure the the route that i was i was just going to go down was um <clears throat> because because it's such a small representation of what the community what fish keeping actually is that some of the sensational channels that like to you know take with gigantic fish and put them in kitty ponds or whatever it is for mm -hmm. clickbait stuff like that gives the hobby a bad name and i think people need to be very cognizant of that that um in a day and age when live pets um when environmentalism when you know these very very aggressive uh, animal rights groups are kind of looking for their next target it's you need to be very cognizant of what you're putting out there because you could be what is taken as oh this is what fish keeping is you know, I'm going to go and um, pillage, you know, I'm going to go and pillage a local beach and take all the starfish and put them in a kiddie pond or something like that. And that, and all of a sudden now the general public is like, oh, is that what fish keepers do? Exactly. Oh, we shouldn't, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't allow people to catch, you know, live fish or wild fish from Hawaii or whatever it is. Yeah, we exactly. should, you know, we should ban this in. just like, cause you know, puppy mills, puppy mills make sense to ban, right? And maybe, so maybe when puppy mills started back in like, I don't know, let, let's say the first person to do it in the, was in the sixties, Right, and they didn't think it was a very big deal, but as society kind of progresses, progresses in in certain views, now all of a sudden we we know for the most part that puppy mills are a bad thing, and so they've kind of been shut down for the most part, from what I understand. I'm not I'm not big into that space, but you know, once they have a victory there, you know, you, you got to move on to something else. I don't think they're just going to say, okay, we're done. We've we've solved all the animal husbandry and welfare issues in the world. They're just going to look for the next stuff, and you know, parrots. I'd imagine. Uh, you know, big reptiles, exotic. I mean, Tiger King brought a lot of attention to like big exotic yeah, animals. Which, true. what the hell do people have freaking tigers for? Like that, <laughs> you know, that makes a lot of sense that we probably yeah. shouldn't have tigers Some in Ohio. Not to get we're, we're kind of off subject, but I, I think it's probably down here in Florida, of course. But I think someone it was just over the weekend. Someone paid 150 bucks to like have a meet and greet and pet like a cougar, and the dude got mauled. By <laughs> oh the my cougar. god! Oh my god! Yeah, and it's like, oh, surprise! <laughs> a meet and greet in Florida with like, <laughs> what yeah. do you think is going to happen? Know, it was like, a, it was, it was like a, it was like a cougar or a black panther. I'm not making this up. And like a big was, cat, a big cat that'll kill you. A big cat that'll kill you. And there was just like a photo shoot meet and greet type deal. And did they something something went awry? And I don't. I mean, I think the guy survived. It wasn't fatal. But, you know, he was attacked by this cat that he was, you know, spending some, you know, supposed to be cuddling. I don't know what the, I don't know what the, so, supposed to do, so clearly he did not watch that, uh, that hiking video from that guy in Utah. Oh, that was intense. <laughs> Dude, man. How, that was intense. Oh man. So clearly Dude, he didn't it was see like that one. Minutes. It was like, oh yeah, I saw the one. Because normally people say like, oh my gosh, I was being chased by this puma for six minutes or whatever. And it was really like 30 seconds. That was legit like six minutes of, he must've been just like heart racing. Like, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. Bad kitty, Oof. bad kitty. 
Yeah. I just love that. Oh, man. I love that when it finally turned around, he started like cursing at it. Like, you know, he's, yeah, yeah, that's right. You run away. Oh man. That guy, dude, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a heck of a video. So, so yeah, what? I mean, that's, yeah. So we, from, we, we went from forum to talking about the, uh, the, the Puma, <laughs> the, 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 the Puma. Pumas. See, you got, you got me saying Puma, you Florida guy. Whatever. I don't know if it's a Puma or a Cougar. I, don't well, know I, I think is. that's a regional thing, right? I think down south, uh, southeast, you guys call them Pumas, and then we call them like mountain lions. And then, uh, well, mountain lion in California. So I'm born and raised in California, so we call them mountain lions there. And then okay. up here in Washington, they call them Cougars. Okay. See, so, I wouldn't even know if those were all the same species, just different names or not. I don't I'm even know. pretty sure that they're all the, they're all the same species. Okay. I, I, okay. I would guess this is the Aquarius podcast though and I know very little about fish I know even less <laughs> about big kitty cats so. all right so I'm looking at man I had like seven things the problem with it like I get like these things in my head and I try to hold on to it like oh I'm gonna ask Ryan about this and then if you go on on a tangent it's like the more I laugh on the tangent that we're on or like the more the deeper down the rabbit hole we go it's like I lose those little nuggets so Thankfully, I had something pulled up, though. So I'm looking at Tampa Bay Aquarium Society. Ha- uh, shout out to uh, Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, tbas1.com. Interesting uh, interesting website address, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know all about the website address, but no, yeah, big shout out to the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society. Here we go. Here we go. Society. Ryan, this is, so this is, let's, let, let's talk continuing to grow wildfishtanks.com, all right? And so okay. what, I, what awesome. I envision, what I envision is we go to this About Us page of Wild Fish Tanks, and we've got, <laughs> we've got a great picture of you swimming in the water. Somebody needs to superimpose. Taken a, by Corey, I think. I think nice. Corey took that. Yeah. Somebody needs to superimpose a um, an alligator behind you, like coming up oh, to get gosh. you. Because <laughs> Florida is full of, oh, dude, your About Us page is great, man. Let's just look at this for a second. Uh, where's your picture of me? You got you got to get a picture of me on here, too. You got Corey. I will. Hey, we should do, I don't, do we have a picture? I have a picture of me and Corey. I have a picture of me and uh, breeder friend Andres. Mm-hmm. I think I have a picture of me, you, and Corey. To be fair. I don't, to be fair. A million people, like a million times more people, know Corey's face than my face. So I completely understand your choice there, <laughs> having him on there. But um, yeah, so I think I, I like your about us page. I don't want to read through the whole. Well, maybe yeah. I debate if I should. We're gonna bore the. We're gonna bore the people. Hey, this is a free podcast, man. All right, <laughs> they can hit pause. They can hit that fifteen second skip whenever they want. Let's actually go through this. Why not? How the fish came came to be. Fish, nature, and pets in general have always been a soft spot in my heart. I kept fish as a kid. Always had a dog. Bred guinea pigs, and even once dreamed of owning a pet store as a little kid. Who didn't, man? I had I drew up blueprints in the first grade on a bus. My friend Chad and I we were going to open up a a, a a pet store, and I drew like this. Uh, 17 mile long staircase down into the basement where there was a big safe and uh, yeah. I, I vividly remember that um, <laughs> a few years back in December 2016 I got my first tank as an adult and quickly started learning as much as I could about the fish keeping hobby I found YouTube to be an entertaining and knowledgeable source of information and a little over a year later I became a YouTube creator myself publishing the first video to Lucky Schmucks fish tanks there's a reason why I'm reading this by the way on February 20th 2018 I went from one tank to a rack system with 16 started keeping planted tanks fell in love with cherry shrimp bristlenose plecos and lots of other smaller fish the channel became lucky schmucks fish cave a few months later after i began to hang out in my garage fish man cave more and more luckily the youtube <laughs> channel performed well and i was inspired to continue making videos and expanding the fish cave the 16 tanks i had became over 30 and i began to grow out cherry shrimp plecos and snails to help pay for fish food and upkeep costs little by little things started falling into place and decided to get more serious about a, and launch a website 
The channel name has since been changed to Wild Fish Tanks to better represent my love for collecting native fish, but my passion for breeding has not gone away. Perfect segue, your next chapter, or your next paragraph is, <coughs> and I'm also the holder of, let's see here, what are your titles? So Tampa Bay Fish Club has um, various levels of um, breeding. So you're a one-star breeder, two-star, three-star, four-star, master breeder, and grandmaster breeder. What I'm getting at, Ryan, is you start doing some missions. You start staying plugged in with Tampa Bay Aquarium Society. You get yourself up to that, uh, let's see, you get yourself up to a four-star breeder, a master breeder, a grandmaster breeder. You throw that on the webpage, man, the About Us, boom. Who doesn't want fish bred by a grand (laughs) master breeder of the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society? If if you needed more street cred, boom, there you go. Right. No, I do need to be more involved with the club. Unfortunately, we haven't uh, haven't been able to meet at all this year. uh, You know, since since the you know the whole pandemic situation. You know what I hear? But I still I still you know what I hear? Right. Excuses. What's that? I hear excuses because right here it says <laughs> it says to access an online breeders award form to fill in and send to the TBAS representative, click here to send an email. All right, fair enough, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. And I have to say, we have we have some of the coolest people. There's a gentleman you might not know of him, but I have to give him a shout out. His name is Bill Shields. He's like he, I think he's the guy who I don't, he didn't create the glowfish, but he like bred a ton of glowfish back in the day. He's a lot of people know him. We're lucky to have people from like Seacrest Farms actually come to the meeting because uh, it's located, you know, kind of right in the heart of fish farm country mm-hmm. out there on the west coast of Florida. So, you know, if you're a local, it is – I know you guys have some really nice, um, you know, fish clubs up there. But I think, uh, you know, we're lucky Tampa Bay Aquarium Society is definitely, I'd say, one of the, the premier ones in the country in terms of – you know, especially in terms of just uh, the knowledge of some of the uh, the elder statesmen there. Yeah, I mean, you guys are, like you said, you're in the heart of the industry. I mean, what 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 better place to have the fish club than you know where you can just pull from these um, pull from these farms, yeah. you know, to to actually come and speak and all that. And yeah, definitely. I think the president the president of the of the club currently he works at I think one of the plant farms down here, so it's all well connected for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did reach out to um, I reached out to Bill in the very beginning and. Um, um, I think he was just busy at the time, and I never, I never reached back out to him. But I would love to, uh, to, to talk with Bill, Bill Shields on the podcast, or um, you know, there, there's just so many people that you know. One day, I hope to be able to to land them on the podcast and get an interview with them and subject them to one hour of uh, Randy's nonsense. <laughs> but no, seriously though, Ryan, that's uh, we're, we're going to move on from this topic. But you need to, I want to see that in like. Maybe, how many fish have you bred? I mean, you've probably bred. I do have, yeah, I have a list. I do keep a list of uh, of the different fish I bred. I don't know offhand how many. Um, and obviously, if you, if I mean, I think I think you and Bob were talking about it on the on the one of the last podcasts about um, you know if you breed this guppy then that guppy or super reds then browns then albinos then long fins. I mean, is it really different species or not? Um, but even if you just take like bristlenose is one species, guppies is one, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, at least a dozen or two, probably. Look at that bristlenose cat, that, that counts as a catfish. That's 10 points right there, man. We're already, we're already one tenth of the way to a one-star breeder. You do, you do, <laughs> you do your guppies, you do your endlers, you've done, um, you know, the, the various type of, of live bearers. We'd just be racking up points, man. I bet, I bet by the time, if we actually went through it, you'd probably be at like a two-star breeder, at least 200 points, if not three-star breeder. Perhaps. I, I do, I do, um... I do like, you know, like uh, the word I want to say is quests because I, I I literally thought to actually kind of how I'm going to do a video on it eventually, but how I kind of came to meet Corey and such 
and video games and MMORPGs. I'm a big gamer. I like the quests. I like kind of like lists and checking off things. So definitely becoming like a breeder and checking it off and getting those points like most people enjoy. I definitely am like full in on that kind of stuff. So it, it makes sense. And it's something that I, I've been slacking on and need to, uh, need to get going on for sure. I mean, it's just going to make that wild fish tank sound that much more appealing to somebody landing on your page <laughs> from Google or something, man. I'm just, I'm just saying. Do you think, how many people you actually think took the time to read the whole about us like you do? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, you would be, I don't know, you'd probably be surprised, man. There is some, I mean, there's some interesting customer emails and, and, and stuff that people, you know, there's some. There's some... I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Hearing you, hearing you read it is probably the first time I read it since I wrote it myself two years ago. <laughs> I was like, okay, I did, I did write that. Those are my words. <laughs> yeah no no embellishments by me but that fourth paragraph though that fourth paragraph is going to be all about how you are a grandmaster breeder a grandmaster breeder level three because you've cycled through it so many times you've just bred everything i can only hope one day yeah. is um not to get too far off topic still about the breeding situation i remember bentley pascal like at least a year ago or something he was talking about creating some type of maybe like a a national board that transcended like this fish club or that fish club for like a national association that you could join and potentially kind of, you know, submit to, um, which I think would be awesome. I don't know if he, I if think, he's kind of, yeah, you know. I know, I know Bentley, his, his phase one was going to be for, um, horticulture. So it was going to be for, for plant propagation. And gotcha. then phase two would basically be the same system, I believe, but it would just be for, uh, it would then be for, uh, like breeding. Um, and I don't think, I want to say on his channel, he's given some updates here or there. Um, I'm not overly sure, but I, I don't know. I talk to Bentley every once in a while, and so I, I don't know. I'll probably yeah, I'm sure it's a huge undertaking. Yeah, sure. Definitely, so. definitely. Um, but no, that would be super cool when uh, when he eventually gets something like that rolling and uh, people can, you know, across the country have a little competition. But I don't, I don't know if that would ever necessarily replace um, the local clubs kind of competition. I think – um, I think there's definitely a place for his vision, and I, I encourage it, and I hope to see it come to fruition. Um, but I think there's something super cool about having these little micro competitions within your greater, you know, metropolitan area, and being able to, oh, without uh, a doubt, and, you know, and have like an annual because then because then it just falls back into you know post COVID once things go back to normal, it's you've, you've got your your fish club Christmas party, and they're handing out the breeder award program. You know, who bred the who bred the craziest fish this year? Who bred the who bred the most fish? Or who bred, you know, this and this? And um, yeah, I don't think there will ever, you know, I think it'd be replace hard. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something something at like an internet scale. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to replace it. But, you know, I think for somebody that lives out in the middle of nowhere um, and is like a 17-hour drive from their nearest fish club meeting, I think that, that website would be pretty awesome for them. Yeah, for sure. So how how has the fish club ev or fish club uh, how has your fish room evolved? Because I, I would guess that the pictures on here right now um, they look like the fish room that I saw, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that you've changed things up quite a bit. Yeah, I said yeah. Actually, now that you know, because like I said, I, I can't remember last time I even clicked on my about about us page. So I do need to uh, probably something I have to do this evening is update it with some new pictures of the the fish cave 2.0. But yeah, earlier this year I actually set out to uh, kind of upgrade. The, uh, the rack systems that I had built, the original ones were just kind of the standard uh, 2x4 and cinder block ones that I copied off of Corey and just kind of made to fit my needs. And what I went with 
like some I call them big boy stands, but like I did like the dado cut where dado or I think it's dado where you like notch them out, you mm-hmm. actually notch out the stands. Um, I haven't put out that video yet. I, I I literally the other day I uploaded all the footage and somehow I ended up taking five and a half hours of footage of me just like cutting things, drawing <laughs> things, whatever. So that's a whole yeah, that's a whole freaking diff- a ball of anxiety. I'm like, look, I'm like, okay, I got to tackle that eventually. But I got five and a half hours of footage somehow I took. I got to boil down to probably a 20 minute video or something. But um, I'm gonna come out with a, a video on that because I love the two by four and cinder block stands. That they're perfect. They're awesome. They're so simple. But building the, the the dado cut stands and breaking out the you know um, was it the cylindrical saw, circular saw I'm not I'm not a handy dude but once again that fish keeping and doing those things kind of gave me confidence like okay if I need to break out a saw I can do that now I can cut this I can do this um, so now the fish now the fish racks are um, they look a little nicer they're like I stained them. But I, I, uh, the main reason I did it was to put 20 longs the long ways. I'm, I'm a tall guy. I'm a big guy. Mm. So I can reach back and I can just fit so many more tanks in the same spot having them having 20, 20 longs the long ways, which I know most people don't do. But like I said, for me and my purposes, it worked out. And um, I've been really, really enjoying it. Um, it's pretty much cramped. The one downside is I used to be able to kind of set up a table and a chair and film videos right in the fish cave and I really can't do it that same way anymore because there's just not enough space. Um, but I won't drop it here, but I got, I got, I got expansion plans. I have a shed <laughs> in my backyard. I got an empty bedroom in my house. I got, I got room. So. And you live in Florida. So you could damn near keep this thing outside if you needed to. Exactly. Yeah. I actually just transitioned. I have a, a like a commercial size dehumidifier and a little space heater I had to put in yesterday. Cause I mean, the tanks, they, they're down to, they're down to like seven, like low seventies. Um, but we got a little bit of a, a quote unquote cold snap. Like I think the temperature got down. It's like the high fifties last night. So, um, you know, the vast majority of my tanks, all but two of my tanks are in the garage and I do have an insulated, but I still will put some space heaters and a dehumidifier in there for the, for the winter. Yeah. I'd have to do a lot of convincing of the, uh, of the wife, but I think if I, if I were to go, if I were moving anywhere else out of, uh, you know, where I currently live right now, Florida, man, you guys have got such a, you got such a wild state, dude. And, and just, you know, I was there for, when was I there last month, two months ago? Um, and had had kind of an extra day, or had had like a half day to myself, and so I went to I did a little birding, um, but but do in, in the birding at the park, what was I Treetop Park, Treetop Park outside of Fort Lauderdale, um, okay. which is on like the Florida Birding Trail or something like that. And anyway, um, you know, got to see a bunch of cool birds that you know we don't we don't get in this area, but then also just with the the amount of water, you know, the little canals and and little creeks and whatnot, just seeing all these tilapia and turtles and i saw a spotted gar and just i mean there's just so much cool crap on the ground there's roadkill iguana like roadkill iguana (laughs) is a thing in florida like you just (laughs) i mean sunbathing sunbathing iguanas like i don't know if people fully grasp that that maybe live in like ohio or california or anywhere else in the country maybe i i for or hawaii probably can appreciate like oh yeah you got lizards everywhere yeah like that's that's kind of a thing but you know the the roadkill iguana was just like oh okay yeah I, i mean i guess that makes sense yeah, I think the further south you go in Florida, too, the crazier it gets. You know, we don't have iguanas up here. We have all the lizards and stuff running around. But, yeah, you go a little more south in Fort Lauderdale, you got the iguanas. You got all these crazy – you know, I've heard stories of, you know, you got Mayan cichlids just living out there. I've heard people catch knife fish, you know. They're mm-hmm. fishing. They just catch a knife fish out of the water. Peacock bass is prevalent down there. 
all these kind of you know invasive species um from, yeah so from what florida's, I, florida's wild from what i could tell short of uh short of actually getting in the water and collecting them um it looked like they were blue blue striped blue spotted tilapia um is okay a, is a lot of what i saw and actually i saw at least at least two pairs guarding um guarding eggs and so just wow. this like four by six postcard sized mass of spread out eggs like you know damn near touching each other on like various pieces of wood or stone and just you know the mom and dad just guarding it and it was so cool so you know i'm looking for birds i'm you know made my run to bass pro shop bought myself a a nice pair of binoculars so i'm doing that thing (laughs) at the same time i'm walking in this like marsh boardwalk and uh you know there's these all these this this group of cichlids and like everywhere you look there's motion in the water like there's there's just fish everywhere and um at the end they had these two little like um, kind of like hangout observation area at the end of the boardwalk and clearly people drop food there because there is a ton of the catfish the tel- the uh, the cichlids the turtles like everything was congregating there because it was a buffet and i guess all the little toddlers I'm sure all the little yeah. toddlers are dropping their goldfish and yogurt drops and stuff so those fish knew where, those fish knew where to go no, for sure. I was actually, that's another thing is the fish keeping hobby, like getting out. I recently got a kayak and just getting out on the water and, you know, for the purpose originally of just trying to collect. But now, like I've gone out just to enjoy nature, you know, and see, um, I, I haven't gotten into the bird, birding yet, but I was out the other day and saw like some hawks flying by. I saw a hawk kind of dive bob into the water, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, getting out and seeing the, the gators, the turtles and stuff like that. Um, and just kind of taking it all in. It's pretty pretty neat experience so so two notes on you kayaking and being outside one your kayak is not big enough you have probably not you have a big dude no not because of your size but because of the size of the alligators so we need to get you like a john boat or something so the alligators don't eat you all right that's that's number (laughs) one and and number two uh you 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 totally should get into birding though just download um merlin it's merlin with an m bird id and um, also get eBird because it's 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 Pokemon. It's like adult nature Pokemon. Um, okay. And and it's you get you almost. I mean, not the same, but you get a similar satisfaction of of, of accomplishment every time you see an, an, an ID a new bird and you get to check it off your list. And so you're kind of you know killing two birds with one stone, if you will. If you're out there, you know you're paddling to your next spot. You bust out your binoculars. You see a bird. You know, maybe you take a picture or whatever it is, you ID it, log it in your book, and then you go and you do your uh, your fish collecting, right? So you're you're out there in nature and you're you're enjoying the birds and you're enjoying the fish. Dual and, purpose. And no, I, I definitely I, I like that idea. There's actually I gotta give I'll give him a shout out too. He's a species dot spotlight on Instagram. Really cool local guy to me. He's all about the natives and they do like micro fishing. So I know you and Bob are talking about like the pygmy sunfish. This guy will literally like go out and try to catch these things on micro hooks and <laughs> so micro ridiculous. Lines. But then they check them off though. They're like, okay, I caught this one. I caught this one. And it's like you said, it's like catching Pokemon, but they, and they're, they're super hardcore. And these is like, these are young guys. So I think he's like in his early twenties or whatever. He, he wants to become a scientist and he's intelligent as all get out as well. And there's all the scientific names and stuff, but that's what they do. They go and they catch them. And it's like an accomplishment to not just net them, but actually catch them with a little tiny micro hook and then check them off their list. And I got this is my life for one of these, my life for one of these. And they try to see how many different natives in this case, they're trying to, you know, collect native fish. And it's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. And they have a little competition between, you know, there's a group of them and it's like a little community and, um, yeah, really, 
So really he's, cool, knowledgeable people. Yeah, I'm looking at him right now, species.spotlight on Instagram. And uh, from September 27th, he's got a post of, this is a male Okefenokee pygmy sunfish. For more than go. two For more than two years now, I've been netting the species from my local spots, but I still haven't managed to tenago, tenago my hook. I, that must be a misspelling or like a... I don't know. Uh, yeah. My hook and line lifer. I've got a good idea of how they feed and where they live, but it's just so difficult to present a bait perfectly. Wow. So he's actually netted these guys out, which I haven't received these yet. They haven't even shipped to Bob and I. So maybe I'll hit this guy up and be like, hey, man, can you send me some of those? <laughs> he's a nice guy, Zane. He's, he's a cool dude. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so people should check out his, uh, his Instagram page. But yeah, he's just going and just collecting, just micro micro fishing all these little guys this is a cool page man this is just a lot of like nature nature porn for lack of a, a better word yeah seriously <laughs> he gets into like i mean he, he goes and collects like you'll see like those like i don't know they're, they're kind of like they're um like what are axolotls? they they're not eels like the si- sirens and stuff snakes they play around with like all the different types of nature you know yeah everything they, i don't everything they, i don't want to touch like, he, well yeah i mean he can look i mean he you know, he can look at a snake in two seconds and know if it's like a dangerous one or not but he goes in some places where they're all like, dangerous. There's definitely gators and definitely snakes. They're all dangerous, but, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of them. What is this? Damn, that is a beautiful. Oh, a Jack Dempsey. Wow, that Jack, Jack Dempsey's are a freaking beautiful yeah. fish. Yeah, they'll My they'll catch goodness. they'll they'll catch some aquarium fish sometimes. They'll catch some really cool looking live bears that people have released probably like different. You know, it's you'd be surprised what they find. Uh, but yeah, I always I always have fun following him and. Like I said, there's you know if you follow him, you'll, there's other people like him, but yeah, yeah it's a nice I'm, little community. I'm following him. Follow. <laughs> Boom. Species spotlight. There we go. Maybe I'll see if I can get him on the podcast and just talk about microfishing. There you fun. go. All right, Ryan, man. Well, this has been an absolute blast. How can people find out more about you if they didn't already know about you? Uh, I'd say the best way would just be wild fish tanks on YouTube. Or Instagram. All right. We'll make sure we've got links to those. We'll have links to wildfishtanks.com. If I can remember, I'll have a link to species.spotlight's Instagram page so people can check him out as well. Ryan, this has been absolutely fantastic, man. Great connecting with you. And the next time in Florida, I will message you before I'm at the airport to leave. How about yeah, I, t- I want to let people know. When, when Randy was in town a couple months ago on that trip he talked about, he messaged me saying, hey, man, you around? And I was like, yeah, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving today. I was like, oh, what a, what a tease, man. What a freaking tease. <laughs> what time did I eat messaging? Did I don't I, know. It, but, and, and, and also, like, the, where you were in Florida is a good, like, three hours for me, too. So oh, it's not like, man. It was, yeah. Oh, but goodness. That's funny. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. There was, there was a couple things on that trip where, like, I could have went to visit another vendor, but I thought they were actually based out of Miami. And when I looked at one of their emails when I was back at – I was actually at the airport. I was at the I was at Fort Lauderdale Air, Airport getting ready to fly out, and I saw the gal's signature, and it said Fort Lauderdale, and I'm like, oh my god, I could have went to go visit them. <laughs> Son of a gun! I'm so bad at my job. Jeez. <laughs> next time, next time. All right, buddy, man. Well, this has been fantastic, dude. Thank you so much for jumping on with me, Ryan, and uh, we'll have to do this again, man. This has been a lot of fun. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again.